Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, COVID-19 cases and respiratory illness are on the rise after the holiday season. New Jersey is now a hotspot for the new COVID variant. Certainly holiday associated travel is always going to be a risk. Um, and I think we're a, still a bit extra vulnerable this year. Plus, crisis at the border. Migrants on buses from Texas travel through New Jersey. Hundreds dropped off here on their way to New York. Also, family ties. The towns of Paulsboro and Gibbstown will now have a brotherly touch as two brothers are sworn in as mayors. I've had more people reach out, you know, you're going to be the mayor. They look at you as you're going to be the leader of this community. Uh, you're going to be the driving force. And, that's really what I want to do. And a wage increase. Workers get a raise as the state's minimum wage reaches its highest level, more than $15 an hour. This is a huge win for um, communities and the economy as a whole. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Tuesday night. I'm Joanna Gagas in for Brianna Venozzi. Happy New Year. It's officially 2024 and many of you are back to work, back to school and back to the germs. The CDC says that our region is very high for cases of COVID-19, flu, RSV and other respiratory illnesses. There's also a new COVID variant that's dominating the new cases, although that comes with some good news. It's not as severe as some of the previous variants. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan has more on all the germs that we're bringing into the new year. You know, you're sitting on a train to Manhattan to go see the tree and you think to yourself, wow, a third of this train is coughing. Rutgers' David Sinimo figures many folks traveling over the river and via packed flights over the holidays shared more than just hugs. Tis the season for respiratory viruses like COVID, flu, and RSV to flourish. Especially in New Jersey, we're seeing a lot of cases right now. A CDC map shows respiratory virus infection rates surging across the nation, especially down south, and very high in the New Jersey, New York City metro areas, helping drive that spike in New Jersey, influenza. <laughs> New Jersey's seen a rapid rise in cases of influenza type A, H1N1, with more than 1,000 cases reported. That's out of over 6,700 flu cases statewide in the week ending December 23rd. We never know when flu season is going to hit, but we know that when it hits, it hits fast. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. That's what we've seen in past years. And certainly holiday associated travel is always going to be a risk. Um, and I think we're a, still a bit extra vulnerable this year. Why? Sinemo cites an apparent slump in vaccination rates for both flu and COVID. And the viruses can seemingly attack in tandem, explains Montclair so, epidemiologist Stephanie Silvera. If you are sick, your immune system is compromised, you are more susceptible to other illness. And so we are seeing this compounding, this potential for, you know, the dual epidemic or triple-demic as we've 
thought about in the past. New Jersey's COVID rate also shows a holiday spike with more than 7,400 cases reported the week ending December 30th. Partly responsible, a new COVID variant called JN1, which the CDC identified in almost 60% of Jersey and New York City's most recent cases. It's highly transmissible, but apparently less severe, Silvera says. In the United States, the number of cases that have been um, typed to be JN1 have been increasing. Um, I think impact in terms of hospitalization and death versus impact in terms of illness are two different things. The World Health Organization called JN1, quote, low risk, adding, while there's a rapid increase in JN1 infections and likely increase in cases, available limited evidence does not suggest that the associated disease severity is higher as compared to other circulating variants. The good news is that uh, it's not 2020 again. And there is a lot of immunity in the community, both due to natural infection and vaccine, the combination. So people are getting COVID, but they're not as sick on average as they were before, much less sick. There there are fewer hospitalizations, there are fewer deaths. The CDC reports respiratory viruses now account for some 8% of emergency room visits. The latest New Jersey hospital census, with 62 of 70 facilities reporting, showed more than 1,140 COVID patients, 124 of them in the ICU as of yesterday. Not surprisingly, many hospitals across the state have reinstated mask requirements, and that's not a bad idea in crowded venues, the public health experts say. They also urge it's not too late to get vaccinated. Americans are eager to pop pills but not as eager to take vaccines. He says vaccine resistance does persist. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Several buses carrying migrants from the southern border stopped in New Jersey this weekend. However, according to Secaucus Mayor Michael Ganelli, the migrants appeared to be simply passing through the state on their way to New York City. The stop in New Jersey was a workaround to getting them to their final destination after New York City Mayor Eric Adams issued an executive order requiring bus companies to alert city officials with their passenger manifestos and their drop-off locations and times. Instead, Mayor Ganelli said the passengers were released at the Secaucus Junction train station, where they were then assisted by travel guides who helped them purchase train tickets to the city. Congressman Jeff Van Drew this weekend demanded that Governor Murphy and Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas confirm whether any more busloads of migrants will be relocated to New Jersey, saying in a statement, Governor Murphy must make it clear that New Jersey is not a sanctuary state, and he added that illegal migrants are not welcome in South Jersey. Jersey. A spokesperson for the governor said they've tracked the arrival of buses at various NJ Transit train stations and are coordinating with federal and local partners on the matter. A federal judge has denied the request to delay U.S. Senator Bob Menendez's trial start date. The senator's legal team requested that they be given two extra months to sort through the millions of pages of evidence provided by the prosecution. Menendez is charged with bribery, accepting gold bars and cash from Egyptian businessmen in exchange for political favors, as well as a charge of acting as a foreign agent on behalf of Egypt in his role as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Now, Menendez has denied the claims, and his legal team saw 
sought to delay the start of his trial from May to July. But U.S. District Court Judge Sidney Stein said that while the amount of evidence certainly is voluminous, it's significantly less than the defense claimed. So what, if anything, does this denial indicate about the judge's attitudes around this case? I'm joined now by former assistant U.S. attorney for New Jersey, Chris Gramiccioni, who can offer some insight. Chris, great to have you back on. Now, when we last spoke, um, we had you had indicated that this was a pretty common practice to request a delay even by two months, um, that this seemed like a fair request considering all of the evidence that the de defense had to work through. Were you surprised to see Judge Stein deny this request? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, two months is not much of a delay. And considering the amount of documents and discovery, which I think were in the millions, I was surprised that the continuance wasn't granted. Um, so, I, yeah, but I, at the same time, I'm told that the Menendez team and the other defendants were on notice and provided discovery fairly early. So the government must have a strong position of wanting to go forward at the earliest possible date, and the court agreed. Judge Stein um, really kind of shot a hole through the defense's claim. They say they had 735 terabytes worth of documents. That does equate to 15 million pages. I believe that 15 million stands, but it ends up it was only three terabytes, as the judge pointed out in her response. Does that change anything substantively in terms of what the defense still has to accomplish in order to be ready for trial? No, I mean, it's it's always when you're defending a case, you want to go in and not be surprised or you want to be completely familiar with the materials turned over by the government. But that said, these teams, it's not just one or two lawyers. It's probably a team of lawyers within each law firm that's working on reviewing it. And they kind of crystallize what might be relevant, what isn't. Um, so, but the fact that the, it wasn't as, as great of a discovery dump as initially the, the defense stated probably made a difference in the court's ruling. And I also think, although... I'll never know. I think it's just the general interest, especially on the part of DOJ, of wanting to try a case uh, closer towards the election time frame. So I bet you there's an interest in, in resolving it sooner rather than later. Yeah, you can't deny that there is some political implication here. If this were postponed, it would be after the primaries. Starting in May versus July puts this trial squarely within that election season. Do you think that there was a political play here? And do you think the judge sees this as a political play? Well, I, I know that DOJ has an internal policy of, of trying to avoid the, the bringing of charges or the announcement of charges within, uh, you know, it's usually like 90 or 120 days of, a, of an election. Um, but obviously, these charges are pending. So I don't know if it entered the equation in, in, in the court's assessment on whether or not to, to go forward. I'd be speculating if I tried to guess. But um, I do know that it, it's probably in the interest of all parties not to have an election I'm sorry, a, a prosecution going on for a sitting incumbent senator uh, right around the time of the primary and certainly at the general. Um, we, we don't know yet what Senator Menendez is going to do, if he's going to announce his run for re-election, who knows, but um, it's full steam ahead, it appears, at least from the government's position. The judge did point out that both parties agreed to this start date when they first, uh, when they initially met, and they did know how much evidence there was at that time. I'm just curious, though, from your perspective, does this indicate at all how the judge perceives this case? Do you read anything more from her denial? No, I, I can't, I don't personally read anything into it other than you bring up a very good point that the parties were on notice at the time of scheduling and at that time, if there was going to be objection that was to be raised, you might have done it back then before agreeing to that initial trial schedule. 
Um, but no, I don't read anything any, in particular. I think every federal judge has an interest in ensuring that their docket is expeditious. And the balance there is ensuring that, you know, speedy trial rights are, are honored, which is a, it's, it's just as much as a citizen's right as it is a defendant's right. But also at the same time, ensuring that the defense can allow to prepare an effective defense and, and be able to go forward. So yeah. judge is trying to balance that. And it seems that she struck that balance. And we'll see where it takes us. Chris Cremiccioni, great insight as always. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. You could say it runs in the family for brothers John and Vince Giovanetti, who are each starting a term as mayor this week in neighboring towns. John was sworn in today in Paulsboro, and Vince will be sworn in tomorrow in Greenwich. That contains Gibbstown, which is where the two towns meet. So how will their brotherly bond impact their role as leaders? Senior political correspondent David Cruz caught up with them to find out. So on my right is... That's Gibbstown. And we're in Paulsboro. We're in Paulsboro here. Yep. This guy's driving in Gibbstown, technically. Right. Right. <laughs> we meet the Giovanetti brothers, that's Vince on the left, John on the right, on freshly paved North Delaware Street, where the two towns meet and where the refinery employs many Gloucester County residents. The men are mayors of these adjoining small South Jersey towns, John of Paulsboro and Vincent of Gibbstown, technically Greenwich. Paulsboro is the larger town. They got more we, square foot, you got miles. square mileage. We got more people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Not bigger cool. area wise. They have more citizens. Yeah. All right. Residents. So how old are you? I'm 57. 61. 61. The brothers are being sworn in this week. John for his first term, and Vince having just one re-election. A lot of times they say the same thing, just slightly differently phrased. It's a trait that comes from being the two youngest boys in a family of seven, keeping one another's confidences and company. We were four boys in one room, and there are four of us, and, you know, two of them going through puberty and high school, and, you know, here Johnny and I are on the bottom bunks, my older brothers are on the top bunks, and we're, you know, fighting over exhaust fans or just, you know, you, you want to have some privacy. Well, there's three other people in your in your bedroom in a little Probably a bedroom, but oh, the size. Yeah. Same kind of family. Yeah, we had the same kind of family, yeah. <laughs> and they 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 would wake you up when they come in oh, at 12, 1 o'clock. Yeah. And they Step didn't on your if, And you bed. had to be silent yeah. when you woke up in the morning, you know, yeah. or you got whacked with the pillow. Yeah. The sons of a butcher and a homemaker, public service has been part of the Giovanetti coat of arms, whether in the school system or in county government. In an era where politicians are looking for the next office, the Giovanetti say they're dug in here. I've had more people reach out, you know, you're going to be the mayor. They look at you as you're going to be the leader of this community. Uh, you're going to be the driving force. And that's really what I want to do. And I have contacts with assembly and senators and United States senators. I think I'm just good focusing on Paulsburg. And while this ain't big city New Jersey, don't be fooled. These towns have problems they have to deal with, too. We also have a beaver problem. <laughs> the beavers, people laugh, but the dams that these beavers create are killing us. <laughs> but seriously, flooding is a big issue here, and the brothers plan to keep working towards getting state and federal aid to help maintain and enhance flood prevention efforts, something that's easier to coordinate when your brother runs the town next door. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News.
In our Spotlight on Business report tonight, hourly workers got a raise to kick off the new year. That bump coming from the state's minimum wage jumping up by a dollar on January 1st to $15.13. It's a boon for workers, but as Melissa Rose Cooper reports, as their wages rise, so too does the rate of inflation. Many New Jersey families kicking off the start of the new year with a little more in their pockets as the state minimum wage just increased to $15.13 an hour. So this is a huge win for New Jersey workers and all the advocacy groups that worked hard to try to raise the wage, which had been stuck um, for a long time. The increase is expected to impact roughly 350,000 workers across the state. Many of these people do work full time. Some of them, if you kind of back that off a little bit less, say it's like 15, 1600, uh, 1600 hours. You're looking at something probably in the tune of about 20, you know, 20, uh, you know, a thousand, anywhere from 1100 to say 16, 1700 dollars. Uh, additionally, uh, these families would get. So somewhere probably in the range of 100 to maybe $150 a month uh, or so. New Jersey is one of several states to boost its minimum wage to at least $15 effective January 1st, beating out the federal minimum of $7.25. As one of Governor Murphy's top priorities during his first term in office, the minimum wage gradually grew from $8.60 an hour in 2018 to $15.13. Uh, the legislature uh, included a provision that every year uh, after the, the dollar increase that would also go up by the rate of inflation. Uh, so last year, the increase went up by a dollar and 13 cents, which is why the minimum wage uh, as of yesterday is now $15 and 13 cents. Uh, and if we, and every year going forward, the increase will go up uh, by the amount of the CPI uh, increase, regardless if there's another change to the actual minimum wage rate. This year's additional $1 hike to $15.13 makes it the state's highest ever. The, the federal rate is an embarrassment, so I'm open-minded. Uh, I'd say we, we should consider a meaningful, again, phasing it up to something, maybe toward 18 or 20. But advocates say it's just the first step. There are a lot of workers who don't get $15 an hour. These are workers who are agricultural workers, seasonal workers, people who are uh, tipped workers, like restaurant employees, right? There's no reason why an honest day's work as an agricultural worker should be lower paid than an honest day's work as a retail sales employee. Every worker is affected by the increase, uh, but seasonal workers, agricultural workers, uh, they're moving up at a, at a rate a little bit slower than the rest of workers. The effects of the increase also being felt among small businesses like Colonial Bakery and Lavalette. Our three biggest uh, expenses are our payroll, um, our ingredients, and our paper goods. So as one of the biggest expenses goes up, so do our prices. Allison O'Neill says two summers ago, they were forced to increase prices by about 10%. But O'Neill believes the issue is bigger than just paying employees higher wages. I'll pay employees whatever you want me to pay them like that. It doesn't bother me. Um, it's, it's just that it's not helping anybody. It's not helping these minimum wage workers earn any more buying power because as the minimum wage increases and as my payroll increases, my prices increase. So it's not like they're gaining more money and then they're also gaining more buying power in the economy. They're earning more money, but the price of everything is going up. The Department of Labor says all minimum wage workers in New Jersey will be at $15 an hour or above by 2027. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper.
Governor Murphy's made some bold promises in the last few years about making New Jersey more affordable, and a key part of that plan is property tax relief. Residents have seen a few rounds of anchor rebates issued in the last year, with some seniors getting up to $3,200 back. And that's just the start of what Murphy promised. There's a senior property tax freeze and more anchor payments for both homeowners and renters. But the fiscal outlook for future rebates is starting to look a little bleaker. Here with me is budget and finance writer John Reitmeyer, who always helps make sense of these complicated tax matters. So, John, we know that the average homeowner generally pays about $9,500 in property taxes a year. It's pretty staggering, the fun, fun part of living in New Jersey. What can people expect to receive as part of the anchor program as it continues to move forward? And specifically, what can seniors expect to receive as well? Yeah, absolutely. And so we'll have to see when a new budget comes out in February, and we're getting close to that, what the next uh, version of a lot of these property tax relief programs will look like, including Anchor. But expecting things to stay relatively the same through the, the new budget that, that we're waiting on, you know, seniors now, senior homeowners can make up to as much as $1,750 in Anchor benefits. Uh, you know, the, the latest round started in the fall and is continuing even through through this week and into next week some of the distribution and we could see it you know for the next a couple months even depending on if people got their applications and renters at the, again at that senior level can get up to seven hundred dollars now from the anchor program so both of those program both of the benefits renter and homeowner have uh, risen quite dramatically as anchor replaced homestead a year ago yeah. And for, for non-seniors, we're looking at a, a peak of $1,500 for homeowners and $450 for renters. So it's still decent money out there. It is. It's significant. There's also the senior freeze program that the governor um, had pushed and the legislature passed. When does that take effect? What does that look like? So for the new round of applications that people will be filling out, the, the, some of the provisions of senior freeze changed, which should make it easier for many seniors to qualify for what are reimbursement checks, which is what a lot of seniors ask for um, to offset their high property tax bills. And so the, the requirements of this program traditionally have been pretty stringent and the income limit most notably is increasing, which should allow a lot of seniors who maybe have been locked out previously to, to get senior freeze benefits going forward. Okay, so when we talk about what the state can afford here, right, we know it's difficult for people to afford to live in New Jersey, but the state's allocated a certain amount for this. What does it cost the state to actually roll it out and is there enough? That's the big question going forward. So uh, Anchor is about a $2 billion line item in the budget. Senior freeze another couple hundred more. And of course, the governor and lawmakers have made a big promise looking ahead to the future to fund something that they're calling Stay NJ, which would also benefit senior homeowners. And so we're at a time right now in the fiscal year, you know, we're starting a new calendar year, but we're halfway through a fiscal year. And the, the funding questions basically revolve around you know, will the state have the wherewithal to keep spending at this level on property tax relief benefits and maybe do even more in the future? Re revenue collections through the end of November, which is the, the closest look that we have to today, were running behind last year at this point in time by several percentage points. So going forward toward the end of June, we're going to have to keep a really close eye on revenue collections to see if the state will be in that strong position that it's been in the last few years to be able to do things like amplify spending on property tax relief. I mean, very quickly, do you think that the legislature backs and the governor back down from this anchor program, back down from the rebates, if those gaps remain? 
It's a, it's a good question. There's so much popularity for property tax relief. And as you noted, property tax relief, uh, property tax bills are at a record high. So it would be very hard to walk this back, but the numbers may require it. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? We will see. We'll be following and you'll help explain it as always. John Reitmeyer, budget and finance writer. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's a new year, and that means new toll increases on the roads. Yeah, maybe not the good tidings you were hoping for, but you can expect to pay more at toll crossings at all the bridges and tunnels run by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, on the Atlantic City Expressway, and at the eight toll bridges operated by the Delaware River Joint Toll Bridge Commission. That last group is seeing a discount removed that offered a 20% cut to drivers who crossed those bridges 16 times or more a month. Here is some good news, though. Governor Murphy did not approve a 3% toll hike on the Garden State Parkway or on the New Jersey Turnpike, saying he needs more info before he'll sign off on an increase. On Wall Street, stocks start off the year on a sour note. Here's how the trading day ended. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But before you go, don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Joanna Gagas for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow night. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Have some water. Look at these kids. How are you? What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American. My name is Julia Toriani Crompton and I'm proud to be an NJEA member. NJM Insurance Group has been part of New Jersey for over a century. We support our communities through NJM's Corporate Giving Program, supporting arts and culture-related and nonprofit organizations that serve to improve the lives of children, rebuild communities, and help to create a new generation of safe drivers. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.